Well, I'm going to tell you about my personal journey. It's going to be more of a personal testimony than anything else. And uh, my journey is that uh, I had to learn, I think, somewhat the hard way uh, not to be a Flip Wilson. I remember Flip Wilson, some of you old timers, all right? And uh, he played the part of Geraldine. And every time uh, Geraldine bought a dress she wasn't supposed to buy, she'd always say, the, the devil made me do that. <laughs> and uh, I found that uh, even though the Bible speaks much about the devil and speaks much about the world, I just discovered, and this may not be your testimony, this is my testimony, I found that I am my worst enemy. Jeremiah said, the heart of people above all desperately wicked and who can know it? Only God. Uh, Romans, maybe you can identify with this. Romans 7, 15. Uh, why don't you look at the screen here? And let's, uh, are we on there? Okay. All right. Let's read this out loud together. Everyone, let's begin. Ready? For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, anybody relate to that at all? Uh, Paul, Paul's right in our, I mean, he's, he, he's right where we live. Uh, for I know that in me that is in my flesh, the old self dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I, I, I can't get it. I just, I just can't seem to find it. For the good that I would, I don't do it. But the evil which I would not, that I... So Paul realized, he, yeah, the devil is a great enemy. And the world is an awful enemy. But he found himself to be his worst. It's like Walt Kelly in the old, the old uh, Pogo comic strip uh, that uh, he said that we have, we have met the enemy, and, and it is us, and it is us. I don't know if you saw that on there or not. Okay, if it's, you'll, it's fine. That's fine. Just go right on to the – I'm going to ask the question. Well, it's just – that's okay. You, that's, that's all right, brother, wherever you want to jump to. Okay, well, we can now can – you, can you go back to the questions? Okay, just skip over that one. Just skip over that. All right, here we go. Let's start right there, all right? Let me ask you some questions, okay? Uh, first of all, who, who do you, and you need to answer this, who, who do you think about the most, just personally, just who do you think about the most? Can you answer that, anybody? I, that would be wonderful. But in reality, you think about yourself the most. All right, fellas, now look, you need, I, I see all the halos out here, but your halos are being held up by horns, all right, let's just get real honest. Who do you talk to the most? Come on, say it. Yourself. Everybody, yourself. Who do you talk to yourself about the most? That's right, yourself. Now, this, this, hey, this is not Joel Osteen, Power Positive Thinking, Norman Vincent Peale, or Robert Shuler. We're, 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 we're talking about who is our worst enemy because we talk to ourselves so much. And who has the greatest impact on your life? Yourself. Who is the source of most of the lies that you believe? You see, you are so convincing. You're selling. You're always selling yourself. And that's why we ask ourselves, why is it I know better, but I don't decide better? It's because we're selling ourselves. And you know, we're terrible. If, if we take our salesmanship out of the world, we would, we would starve. But somehow we can sell ourselves. We can deceive ourselves and even love it. So, who has been the mastermind behind most of your bad decisions, if not all of them? We have been. We sell ourselves. Who undermines your spiritual life unlike anybody else, even the devil, even the world? 
Who undermines, who sabotages your spiritual life unlike anybody else? You do. I do. You see, I'm telling myself, I know I need to pray, but somehow I've got this excuse, as we just heard a moment ago. I have, I have, I ha I, I have this, this voice that's telling me, this salesman that's telling me, well, you, you know, you, you've prayed before. Well, where, where are the results of all your praying? Where's that really got me? Uh, you know, here's a better option. Just leave the book. You can get to the book tonight. You can get to your Bible this evening. Right now, this is the best option. Who is it that sells us that sin is always a good option? Living for yourself is always your best option. We undermine ourselves. We sabotage our own relationships. We sabotage our relationships with God, with our spouses, with our children, with our church, with our friends. We are our worst. I'm not trying to convince you. Really, I'm telling you my story. I realize after 50 years of pastoral ministries, you would think I would finally get it after a while. But it took me a long time to come to this conclusion. Because I like to preach about the devil. I like to preach about the world. We would have young people, Brother Dane, would go to camps. And they would come back home. And uh, they would make decisions, get fired up for the Lord. And then it wasn't just a matter of time. They were back in the world and their parents would come to me and say, Pastor, my child is back in the world again. I wish somehow we could, I wish somehow, no, the world is never going to change. And the problem is not the world. The problem is the heart of your child. Because where your treasure is, there is where your heart's going to be. So they were treasuring the world, and that's where their heart followed. It's not a world problem. It's a heart problem. And you see, the devil I realized one day, I don't know why I didn't get this in college, why I didn't get this in seminary. I just, it just, I know I must have skipped the class, but I had to come to the realization that the Bible is true. Satan is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at the same time. And there are 8 billion people on this planet. And I woke up one day and I realized, and you know, he only got a third of the angels. He didn't get the whole pack. He just had a third. And so they're limited in their location. And you know, and I could, I, I could take a vow of silence or, 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 or a vow of separation like some of the old monks did uh, centuries ago. And I could separate myself from the world where the world would never influence me at all. But I carry this bag of bones everywhere I go. I carry this old self, this old flesh, the old nature, old Adam, whatever you want to call him. But he's, my, he's always been my worst enemy. And you see, it's just like the flesh that likes to deflect attention away from itself that you're the worst in because if you can deflect, if you can somehow blame someone else like the world or even the devil himself, it gets the attention away from the real root problem. And that's us. C.H. Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, this is what he concluded. Beware of no one more than yourself for our worst enemies are within us Paul Trapp the author of shepherding a child's heart no one is more influential in your life than you because no one talks to you more than you do it's a fact that you are an endless conversation with yourselves now I know men that struggle we have them in our church men would struggle with staying up late at night, turning the computer on. We would talk, and I'd say, look, listen, 
what are you telling? What are you selling yourself when the lights are off and everybody's in bed? What are you selling yourself? That's where your decisions are coming from. You're telling yourself something. So stop and think about what you're. Come on, help me. Think about what you're thinking about. Pause. Think about what you're thinking about. Sometimes we just we, we, we're just oblivious. We can't see the forest for the trees. And yet right here, right in front of us, is these thought patterns, and we're going to get to it in just a second, on strongholds. Pulling down these imaginations, pulling down these arguments, pulling down these conversations that we have with ourselves, that we talk ourselves out of prayer. We talk ourselves. How many men talk themselves out of coming today? How many talk themselves out of coming last night? They didn't need the devil. And though maybe the devil had a part of that, obviously, and he does, and we're not belittling the devil's work because he does have fiery darts that he shoots into our minds. But he's got to have the cooperation of the flesh to pull it off. And so when we cooperate with this conspirator, it makes matters doubly worse. Think about what you're thinking about. What you say to yourself and what you say about yourself is, it has a shaping influence in your life. So shaping. Uh, I, I was, I, I'm wired, Daniel, to be more negative. Uh, I always see the thorns and not the roses. You know, I always see everything half full and not, or you know, half empty instead of half full. I'm, I just, I'm kind of wired negative. I, I'm, I'm also wired to be a whiny baby. I whine about everything, complain about everything. Uh, I'm looking for something to be mad about. Uh, just, and so that's, and so I have this self that lives in me that just, that just likes, this self, this fallen self, this sense, he comes and he says, uh, Ed, I've got some bad news. And I say, well, I got some bad news too. And so we sit down together with both our bad news. And so what happens that we become an accident looking for a place to happen? You got all this bad news coming together. So, could it be that your discouragement, your depression, or sadness, whatever you may want to call it, the feelings that you are having are not necessarily the result of what is happening in your life, but it's the result of what you're telling yourself about what's happening in your life. In other words, here's this here's the scenario: we have a family in our church back home. I'm not pastoring there now, but prior uh, they were going through a divorce and he was obviously the, the gentleman uh, was was devastated and 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 he went into a he dovetailed into a into a state of deep depression and I said just said, brother uh, are you being depressed because of the divorce or are you depressed about what you're telling yourself about this divorce how are you influencing yourself and making it so much worse? The divorce is bad. But how much worse when we just pull courage out of our soul? And that's what discouragement is. We're just pulling courage. We're pulling faith. We're pulling everything of any virtue out of our souls, pulling it out. Gentlemen, I'm just trying to encourage you. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Don't invite him in when he knocks at your door. He'll tell you, you'll never get victory over this. 
you're always going to be a failure. Once an addict, always an addict. What you did is unforgivable. He'll tell you that. Um, if you've gone through grief and loss, he'll tell you, <laughs> you'll never be happy again. You're never going to get beyond this. You can't move forward. I stepped away a year ago from church. I pastored 38 years in my home church. I was so, so privileged to be called the pastor of the church I was raised in back home in Indiana. And uh, when I stepped away, moved to Ohio, I started uh, having self. And again, this is not something, this is not a one and done thing. This is something you have to kill and crucify every single day of your life. You got to preach the gospel, the truth to yourself all the time. And uh, he kept telling me, uh, he kept telling me, uh, well, you're finished, you know. It's over. Uh, you'll, never, you'll never get in a pulpit. And those moments that you, you had moments that you just absolutely knew the presence of God was so real, you could just touch him. You're never going to experience that again. You, and I, and I, my wife and I, we both knew after 38 years it was time to hand the church off and, and for us to move on and, let, and for the church to move on. But it was my home church. I had the awesome privilege of pastoring over 100 members of my own personal family, my brothers and my sisters, my mom. And I was my mom and dad's pastor for nearly 15 years before they died. I had zillions of aunts and uncles, cousins, third, fourth, fifth cousins. And uh, I was just so blessed to have my own personal family call me their pastor. But I went through a, a crisis, I guess you would call it an identity crisis. But what it was, it was simply, I started telling myself some bad news. I started undermining my own spiritual life, and I, I had to realize, look, long before I ever got a degree from a Bible college, long before I was ever called a pastor in Florida and in Alabama and then later in Indiana, long before I was ever a pastor, before I ever preached my first sermon, I was a beloved child of God, and my identity is in Christ. Not in my performance, not in my sermonizing, not in anything pastoring. My identity is in Jesus Christ. That's how I started, and that's how I will finish in Christ. So I'd start preaching to myself about my identity in Christ, not based upon my environment, based upon whether I'm in or out of a pulpit ministry every week. So he's going to work on you. Now, here, here's the argument. Here's the argument. Now, it's Psalm 73. You, you can read this, Psalm 73. You can read this on your own. This is ASAP, and ASAP... I'm not going to read the whole passage for time's sake. You can read the Psalm 73. Asap confronts the old issue of why, why do evil, why, why do the righteous suffer and why do the evil prosper? In other words, the evil enjoy all the good of life and the good endure all the evils of life. That's Psalm 73. And Psalm 73, as you read on, he got into a neighborhood. And by the way, when you were growing up, how many of you had a, a mom or dad that loved you to the point they would tell you, there are neighborhoods you need to stay out of. Anybody ever, ever told about staying out of neighborhoods? Okay. If you get into some neighborhoods, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get bloodied and bruised and battered. Stay out of those neighborhoods. Well, there are neighborhoods of your mind you need to stay out of. When you get into those neighborhoods and you start reliving that track, you, you start reliving that stuff, you start sabotaging your life again, and what happens, you get in there, and before you can get out of there, you're, you've come out bloodied and bruised and hurt and discouraged, 
Stay out of there. And ASAP got into a neighborhood called Ur, E-R. It's the suffix E-R. Now, I'm going to say a word. Now, can, let's just say it together real, real quick. Let's say Ur. Say it with me. Ready? I want you to hold. I want you to say that. Here's the neighborhood he got into. Everybody, everything for them is bet. Everything for them is bet. They go to liberal churches, the woke churches, but those woke churches are so much big. Life for them is filled with so much laugh. They are so much happier. I said the earth. Sorry about that. Okay. They appear so much healthy. They dress so much nice. They look so much young. <laughs> You're getting it. Their houses are so much fancy. They drive chariots that are so much new. They're shiny. I know you're getting tired of it. All right, so we'll stop right there. Do you get that? You get. He got into the land of Ur, and he was suffering from OCD. It's called obsessive comparison disorder. There's no win ever in comparison. No win. And you read on in Psalm 73, if you'll read on, and again, I don't, but you can read this for yourself. Then in verse number 16, yes, this is what happened. He got out, what happened, what happened, and I jumped ahead. Asap got out of the land of Ur and got into the land of Ah. Not Oz, okay. The land of awe, A-W-E, awe. This is what he said. Look look, look up here at the screen. For when I thought, now in other words, he stopped listening to himself and he started talking to himself. He 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 started telling himself the truth. He got into the presence of God. Listen, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. How that we endure who are good and those who are evil, they are so prosperous. He said, I went into the sanctuary. By the way, that's a good place to go. That's where the presence of God is, where the spirit of God, that's where the truth of God is, where the word of God is. You're going to be exposed. And he got exposed to the truth. He got in the presence of God. And when he did, he says he went into the sanctuary. Then I understood their end. He got into the land of awe. He saw their end. He saw, as he said, and, 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 and he, you have set them in a slippery place, and you have cast them down into destruction. Thomas Boston, an old Puritan, said, Refuse to believe thine eyes. That seeing is believing. No. Seeing is also deceiving. Judge not too quickly by appearance only. And what is he seeing? He is seeing that the only heaven that this people will ever have is right here. And everything this side of the wrath of God and eternal hell for us is the mercies of God in comparison. And the only hell that we will ever taste, the closest to hell we will ever come, is this present world that we're living in. The land of all. He saw the reality. He saw eternity. He saw their destruction. He got out of the land of Ur and got into the land of us. Well, Jeremiah, 
I'm not going to take the time to go through it. Jeremiah, in the book of Lamentations, you can read Lamentations chapter 3. He was in the same place. He was in a really, really bad place. In Jeremiah chapter 3, he was in such a bad place. He couldn't even say the word Lord, Jehovah. He couldn't even say Adonai. He couldn't even say God. He just referred to like the higher power. He, he did this and he did that and you did this. He wouldn't even say God's name. He was so, so discouraged and so despondent and so into the depths of depression and then something happened in verse number 18 and I said my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord he saw this destruction and we don't get into the history of this for time's sake but he said then I then remembering mine affliction and my misery and the wormwood and gall my soul had then still in remembrance, and, and, and then I'm humbled by this. I'm humbled because this I recall to mind. Amen for Jeremiah. He started telling himself the truth. And you know, when you know the truth, the truth then can what? Set you free. And so he began to recall to mind. I stopped listening to myself, and I started preaching to myself. Therefore, hey, Jeremiah. Hey, Jeremiah, God is still on the throne. There's still hope, Jeremiah. It is of the Lord's mercy. Well, let's read it together. Come on, look up here. Let's read it. Ready? You know this. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because of his compassions, they fail not. They are new every morning. Come on, say it. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore, I will have hope in him. You know what he did? He preached himself out of a pit. They're going to be, why am I saying this? Because there are going to be times Sunday can't come soon enough for you. There's going to be times where you, can, where you dial every number of all your friends and there's going to be no one they are going to be there to help you. That you're going to have to learn the discipline of how to preach the gospel to yourself. How to win the argument against yourself. First, it happened to David. No time to go into this, but, but you can read this. First Samuel 27, how David... <laughs> David was so discouraged because 15 years had passed. He's still not king. Sooner or later, he said, after 15 years of running, Saul's going to kill me. So he goes into the enemy camp. And this is what he said. He said in his heart, I'm going to perish. So I just might as well go in and join the enemy. I'm going to perish. David got into David's head. And things didn't turn out well. But then later on, David realized what he had done. And even the Psalms, he writes, and we won't go into those, but in chapter 30, then he begins to encourage himself. But here's why I want to land. This is the passage I just want to land on, and I'm going to skip over some of those quotes, all right, for time's sake. Psalm 42, 11. Read it with me. Ready? Let's begin. Why art thou? Oh, my soul. Stop right there. Who is David talking to? He's not talking to the Lord. He knows the Lord is hearing him. But David is saying, David, David, listen to me, David. You, attention, David, attention. Give me your attention. All right, David, why are you so depressed? Why are you so disquiet? In other words, all the quiet has left your soul. You're in turmoil, David. Why? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him. You know, I love an old preacher years and years ago. They asked, he was asked, what is your favorite passage of Scripture there in the Bible? He said, well, I'll tell you my most favorite passage of Scripture there in that Bible is, and it came to pass. Because nothing ever comes to stay. This too shall pass. Amen? Amen. 
who is the health of my countenance. Even it, it, you'll change somebody, the way my face looks and my God. Now, I just, I'm going to read this. This comes from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a book I read when I was going through the pits in my own life a few years ago. This book was given to me by a fellow pastor. It's called Spiritual Depression, Martin Lloyd-Jones. I'm going to read. You watch, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll close down in just a second, okay? Are we all right with time? Okay, all right. Okay, I'm trying to get in here in high gear. The main trouble of the whole matter of spiritual depression, and this is his commentary on Psalm 42. The main trouble of the whole matter of spiritual depression is the sense is this, that we allow, listen, we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Am I just trying to be deliberately paradoxical? No, far from it. This is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you in the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they, they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody's talking. Who's talking to you? Self is talking to you. Now, this man, David, his treatment was this. Instead of allowing himself to talk to him, to talk to him he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down? He asks, soul, why have you been repressing him, crushing him? So he stands up and he says, self, you listen for a moment. Listen to me. I think he looked at himself in the mirror. I will speak to you. Do you know what I mean? If you do not, you have but little experience. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself. Question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself. Upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope thou in God. Instead of muttering this depressed, unhappy way, then you must go on to remain, uh, remind yourself of God. Who is God? What is God is and, and who God, what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. And having done that, in this great note, defy yourself and defy others and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the health of his countenance, who is also the health of my countenance and my God and all the Lord's people can say. All right, skip, skip, skip. Todd, go to Harold Vaughn. I want to, I want to read this quote out of his book called Oasis. Oh, and, and Harold kind of springs off of this. And he, here, here, here's because here's, Harold himself went through a time when he had cancer and he battled this thing of depression. And uh, this is what he wrote. You've got to stop listening to yourself. Of all the voices that can lead you astray, your own voice may be the deadliest. David was in the throes of depression when he spoke to himself. Why are you cast down on my soul? He chose to stop listening to himself and started talking to himself. David probed even deeper. Soul, why are you in turmoil? And when you are depleted and depressed, you're not thinking right. Words are the overflow of the heart. And it's not healthy or helpful to listen to yourself when you are in a pit. Your heart will chastise you, condemn you, and take you further down into despair. You must speak truth in your own heart. Find a scripture that addresses your situation. You need to hear the truth. God's word is truth. Reuttering some of the lies of the devil as whispered in your ear will never have a lifting effect. David moped around for a year or so under a heavy cloud of guilt. He never would have found restoration by feeding on the trash coming out of his own heart. Follow David's example after failure. Having the courage to verbally confront yourself. 
instead of talking to another human, give yourself a good truth talk. Amen? This is what he said. Now, if you've messed up, fess up. Another way of saying confess it. The real thing is you don't need to confess the same thing over and over and over again. If the blood is enough for God, it should be enough for us. So admit it to God once and then thank him for the forgiveness. It's not God's will for you to spend endless days moping and mourning. When you fall down, don't stay down. God's grace is greater than your guilt. Amen. Tell yourself, get up. Do this immediately. Stop listening to yourself. Start talking to yourself. And here's the rest of David's speech to his troubled heart. Hope thou in God. And that's the verse there. So uh, 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, oh, here's some verses here. Psalms chapter 4, stand in all, uh, commune with your own heart up in your bed. Psalm 15, verse 1 and 2. Who's going to abide in the tabernacle? Who's going to dwell in the holy place? Well, here it is. Those who walk uprightly, those who work righteousness, and those who speak the truth in where? In their own heart. All right, Psalm, Psalm, 19, Psalm 19. Can you can you see that up there? Let's read this together. And I may I may just I may just allude to the fact in Second Corinthians chapter 10. But let's just let's just kind of hold let's 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 maybe land it right here. Psalm 19:11. Let's read it together. Everyone, begin. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my. Amen. Now, should you guard your mouth? Yes or no? Bible says guard your, guard your words, guard your lips. Should you guard your mind? Then you must also guard your meditations. The conversations you're having with yourself is of vital importance because whoever gets your meditations is going to get your mind and get your mouth and get your life. Speak the truth in your you can read Second uh, Corinthians chapter three about pulling down strongholds. Uh, I do. Can I can I close on one passage in Psalm one hundred three? All right. Here's what David did. Psalm one hundred three, Psalm one hundred three. You you know this. You know this. Bless uh, the Lord, O my soul. Who's he talking to? Who's he talking to? He's talking to himself. He's not he's not talking to the Lord. He's talking about the Lord. And in Psalm one hundred three. Wow, what a, what a, what a, what a, what a, what a chapter. Psalm 103, there are 10 attributes of God that David recites in his mind. By the way, do you think it'd be a good thing to know the attributes of God? It'd be good to know the God that we're talking to, right? So he, had, he, he, he addresses 10 specific attributes, and in this passage, he gives us 15 benefits. So he gives us the attributes because we should never, you see, we, we should never put our focus on the benefits without first understanding who the blesser is. Because sometimes in life, the good can become our God. So he starts with the Lord. And he gives us these, he gives us these beautiful attributes of God. And he preaches him to himself. This is who God is. This is who God is. And then he preaches these 15 various benefits, blessings of the gospel to himself. Now, you've got to know God. And you've got to know the gospel in order to preach that to yourself. And that's where, I want to, that's where I want to stop today. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know him as your own personal Savior? Do you know God? Do you understand who God is? You see, the Bible, the Bible is, one of, is the only book. It is the only book that you have to have a personal relationship with its author to understand the writings. You can read any other book in the world, and you don't really need to know anything about the author. 
But this is the book that you must know the author and you must know something about the author if you're going to understand the book. So in life, here it is. In life, we're going to be one of two birds. We're either going to be vultures or we're going to be hummingbirds. Vultures are always looking for something dead. You're always going to find what you're looking for. Vultures are always looking for roadkill. But hummingbirds are always looking for something sweet. They're looking for some flowers. If you put out a little thing for hummingbirds in the back, they get looking for some sugar water. Let's pray. Father, I just uh, want to lift my heart to these, to you for these men that they'll be hummingbirds looking for the sweet nectar of your word. It's like honey to the soul. Uh, Father, uh, I know I'm preaching to myself today because uh, even on my way here, I had to take self in hand and say, look, uh, self, uh, you, 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 are, you, you so want to stay on the throne of the heart. And, uh, and self, I, I, I just want you to know, just I'm going to say it again today. You died 2,000 years ago when I died in Christ on that cross. And in 1967, in my baptism, I buried you. And so you're no longer my boss. You're not my master. And Jesus, you're the Lord. And we want you to reign and rule on, a, on, on all of our hearts today. And, uh, and teach us, Lord, this discipline of understanding our flesh and how to wage war, as Peter said, these matters at war against the soul. And we know, Father, that every time the Holy Spirit, according to Galatians 5, when the Holy Spirit says, do this, this will be good. The Holy Spirit it says, yes, 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 do this. And every time the Holy Spirit prompts us, the flesh will say, no, 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 don't do that. So we know there's a war going on between the flesh and the spirit, always contrary one to the other. But teach us to be discerning how to listen to your voice and how to follow you obediently, even as 2 Corinthians chapter 10 teaches us, pulling down strongholds bringing them into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every single thought in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's men can say, amen and amen. Amen. That was great, man. We're doing good. We came to hear preaching, amen? We came to get help from God's word. A lot of men's activities, there's nothing wrong with it, but we try to do something to get the men excited and show up sometimes, and so we'll do fun things. And look, there's in heaven, there's not going to be an entertainment corner over there. You know that, right? <laughs> there's not going to be shooting competition in heaven. There's not going to be sports to take people away from church. Aren't you thankful for that? I mean, sports, the number one reason you, that the youth can't come to church nowadays. Um, there's going to be nothing to take us away. No distractions. And men, we need to stop listening to ourselves. The message was good. And uh, we each needed it. Right? We've got to listen to God.